You got the button, Carol? You're all right. You got the mute button? You got that too? Wow, I'm impressed. If you guys have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to invite you to open up 2 Samuel. And uh, we're going to come, we've actually come to the appendix of the life of David. Pretty much uh, last week we finished out all his battles, all the things that that David went through in his life. And now we come to the end of of, uh, chapter 21 and and chapter 22 and on, uh, 23 and 24, and we're dealing with the appendix of his life. So so they're going to go back and look at some some things that happened earlier. uh, He's going to give a summation of his life uh, as we look at... uh, the psalm that he sings out for us tonight. But as we look at it, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, having come through the life of David, there's a couple of things I'm hoping that we're able to glean. One of those things being, David would never have been the man after God's own heart if First and Second Samuel hadn't happened. If he hadn't been hated by Saul. If he hadn't been hunted for 10 years, if he hadn't been the least of his family and the one that his his family didn't esteem above the other brothers, if he had had life a little easier, if he had had life a little better, if he had had more breaks, he wouldn't have been the man after God's own heart. Because to create the man after God's own heart, David had to endure everything that he went through he had to be hated and in that way in those points in his life he writes to you and i some of the greatest psalms that actually depict the very words that people spoke to jesus while he hung on the cross just david writing about his experience that's how amazing our god is because if you got time of Later on, to stop and just read through Psalm 22, you're going to read through the thoughts of Jesus Christ while he hung on the cross. And hear the words people said to him while he was there. But David writes that psalm out of his own despair, his own problems, his own issues. Yet God used those low times, those hard times in David's life to prophesy to you and I about what what was going through Jesus' mind on the cross. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the life that that God wants you to live according to His will and in His power to affect our world and have it the way you want it. Those two don't go together. And so as we kind of take a step back tonight and we'll, we'll pick it up in chapter 21... Uh, looking at the the battles with the different giants, um, and as we begin looking at it, hopefully, hopefully, as we look, we'll see David becomes who he is because of what he went through. My children will be who they are because of what they go through. I would love to spare them all the little hardships in life, but without the hardships in life, they will not learn what they need to know. I was sharing with somebody earlier this week. Um, heard a great illustration about it. The, uh, there was a young child who come upon a, a cocoon. You guys seen them before? I don't know if they have them in Idaho, but in other places there are cocoons. A caterpillar crawls up on this branch and he and he makes a cocoon. And we know in that cocoon there's a change occurring, right? A metamorphosis is is happening. And at the end of that metamorphosis, you have this creature inside a cocoon who uses all the strength it possesses to get out of that cocoon. And this this young child saw this this cocoon and and the caterpillar fighting so hard to get out of the cocoon, so he helped. He reached over and, and he just ever so gently with his little pocket knife, cut that cocoon that he was fighting so hard from and bloop, a butterfly came right out. Well, there's something wrong with it though. 
Well, the body still looked like a caterpillar, and it had these little bitty wings on it, and it couldn't fly, and he washed it for a few moments, and then it kind of fell off a branch and died. And he went home and talked to his, his parents about it, and his dad happened to be a teacher at school, and he said, well, I can tell you what happened, son. See, in order for that caterpillar to become a butterfly, it has to fight its way out of that cocoon. While it's fighting its way out of that cocoon, the body squeezing through the tiny opening that it makes forces all the fluid out of the body and into the wings. So the wings begin to grow. And when those wings begin to grow and that fluid is pushed out because of the fight, the battle, the challenge of coming out of the cocoon, it will spread its wings and fly away. But if it doesn't get the battle, no fly. And we forget that sometimes. I know I do. I'm, I'm hoping to fly the next couple of days. We're, we're, we're camping. Um, I give up on, uh, on pine since it's unfortunately all on fire. But um, we, we headed out to Stanton Crossing. And so I got up this morning early and we're going to go. And you have in your mind the visions of the fun. Well, somebody has that in their mind. Most guys don't have that in their mind. They have in their mind the horror of hooking up a trailer that isn't working right. I hear you. So, anyways, I, 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 I say, well, I'm going to fix this hose. I got this leaky hose on my water. I'm going to fix this hose. So, I reach in there to fix a hose. And by fixing the hose, I break the end off the hose. And now i got to fix the end. So, then I fix that end and I bust the hose above it because it was dry rotted. So, then I pull that hose off. And by the time I got all that stuff on, it's almost 12.30. Now, I was supposed to leave at 10. So I get the trailer loaded up. We take off, get to the gas station, fill up the truck. I decide I'm just going to look and make sure it's not leaking. That's leaking everywhere. Every hose I put on is leaking. It's still leaking. I'm just hoping it lasts, it leaks slow enough that the water lasts for four days. If it doesn't, there's a river across the street. And I'm going to try to teach Joe to take the bucket and go fill up some water and bring it back. We'll see how that works. And I get frustrated about it and I think, oh, this is so dumb and this is stupid. And then I I started thinking about the study we had tonight and thinking, you know, it's the challenge that we face that makes us the people we are. And shows us who we are in a lot of ways when nobody's looking. They say reputation is who you are. When everybody's watching, character is who you are when nobody sees you when you're under the trailer working on that water tank. And it reminds us, those things remind us, ah, God's got some work still to do in my life. I don't know about you guys, but he still has work to do in mine. So as I looked at that and I realized it's a challenge, it's the challenges of life, but we need to see the way God sees them, the things that aren't quite how we thought they should go. Well, when we look, we pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 21. It says, now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel. Now, this section, this first couple of verses is going to deal with David toward the end of his, of his reign. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit in time, but we're going to deal with the children of Goliath. You remember Goliath, right? That's that big guy that David took out. Well, it says in verse 15, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, and we know toward the, at the very end of David's life there was peace. So this had to happen sometime between then. Uh, it says, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines. And David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benab, who was one of the sons of the giants, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, that's 8 pounds, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. So here we got one of, one of the kin of, of Goliath. When it says one of the sons of the giant, that means they're talking about a giant we should all know. So this is one of Goliath's kids. And he thinks, oh, I'm going to kill the guy who killed my dad. And he's going to bear down on David. And David's older, he's later on in his career, and he's tired. He's wore out. The scripture says in verse 17, But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid, struck the Philistine, and killed him. Now we're going to come across Abishai. We've talked about Abishai a lot. Abishai is Joab's brother. 
One of the other things you want to remember about Abishai is he's one of the three. David had a lot of mighty men, but Abishai is one of the three. Top three. Abishai, for all his faults and for all the things he does and for the, for the, the fleshly leadership of his brother, loved David. And he sees David in trouble and Abishai goes. He goes and he, he cuts down this, this giant in the battle. He kills him. And the men of David swore to him. All the men come to David and they say, You shall go out no more with us to battle. They all come to him and says, David, when you were young, you killed your 10,000. Now it's time to retire. You're going to get hurt out here and I don't know if we can keep you safe. So they tell him at that time, no more going out to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterward that there was again battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was, again, one of the sons of the giant, one of Goliath's kids. Again, in verse 19, there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elchanan, the son of Jaar, or Agim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. As we go through, there, and there's, I think there's five different sections where different people are having their battle with the giant. And we look through this and we say, well, David had his battle with Goliath. Sometimes we think somehow we're not going to face a giant. I think this whole appendix is put in here to remind us how many giants there are still to face. I mean, you have David who's no longer strong enough at the time when Goliath's sons come up. So Abishai saves him. Then you hear man after man. We, don't, we never hear about these guys again. But what, do we, what does the Bible tell us about them? They're facing their giants. They're fighting the giant. They're doing battle with the giant. It's something that is consistent. Why? Because it is in the challenge in life, the battle with the giants, that our characters develop. You and I become men and women that we're supposed to be in Christ. And it can only be in the battle. You see, we're in a cocoon right now. And one day that cocoon's going to open up. And Jesus is going to call us. And we're going to fly. And I hope none of us are fat little caterpillars with little bitty wings and they can't do it. Because life was just so easy. It's those challenges, the giants that we'll face. Now, your giant may not be a guy who holds a spear like a weaver's beam, and he's trying to drive a spear through your chest. But it might be that, that person that's constantly coming up in your life over and over and over again. Maybe it's somebody at work that you're having to deal with. Maybe it's somebody in your family that you just can't get away from. I don't know. Everyone has their giant. And that battle with that giant is for your good and God's glory. And sometimes we forget. We want the, the battle to go away. But over and over again, the Lord tells us of these battles. Listen, it says in verse 20, Yet again there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in all. So he can count at least four higher than me. Six fingers on each hand, six, six toes on each feet. It'd be kind of handy. I don't know if you've ever seen Kathy. She has uh, monkey feet. If you ever look at Kathy's feet, don't tell her I said that. She's not here. She's camping, so I can tell stories on her. Yeah, you'll forget. She got these. <laughs> she got these big. She got these big old. Um, uh, not big old, but she got monkey's feet. So, <laughs> so with these monkey's feet, ever since she was a kid. I mean, we're in high school. I swear to you, she could walk over to a door and lift her foot and grab the knob and open it. She used to just to blow people away. She used to pick up a pin on the ground with her feet and write her name. It's amazing. Now, I don't know if she's still that good, 
But if I'm giving her grief on one end of the living room and I think I'm safe, but she can get to me with her toes, I'm not safe. She can grab a hold of you with them toes. It's something else. So I'm glad she doesn't have six. I guess that's the moral of the story. This guy had six. It says, so when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, this is uh, David's brother, killed him. These four were all born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. In scripture, we see when David went to battle against Goliath, he, he picked up five smooth stones. And scripture tells us he picked up those five smooth stones because he knows Goliath has brothers. He, he's not planning on missing. He just knows the battle's not over. Do we know that? I mean, David... Dave, maybe David thought the battle would happen that day. Maybe he thinks, well, I'm going to have another stone in my pocket for that day. For that time when those giants come. It turns out that the, it all happens later in his life. And God has other people there to be able to do that battle. But there is constantly going to be those challenges. And, and in the midst of those challenges, and as we face those battles of life, and they don't go away... We come to chapter 22, and David writes a psalm to sum it all up. Because one of the things he recognizes as he goes through all the things he's been through, and if you don't think David's been through a lot, just, just go back. Just in the last few years, since the sin with Bathsheba, he's watched three of his sons die. He's dealt with heartache that he, he can't even begin to imagine, betrayal by friends, uh, a, a, an uprising, a rebellion by some. Before that, he had stuff in his in his past that he went through all the all the while waiting to be king. His life was not easy. It wasn't full. It wasn't like a water flowing down a hill, just picking the easy path. But the Lord developed his character. That means who David was when nobody was watching. Doesn't mean he was perfect. But God developed his character. Did the Lord ever stop working on David's character? Nope. Not until he brought him home. So what did David do as he's looking back at his life? He praises God. If we take an honest look back, there are certain times in our life we look back at and we think, yeah, I didn't think that was very good. But maybe looking back we can recognize some reason to praise God for it. That's what chapter 22 is all about. Finding a reason to praise God anyway. The Bible says, listen, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you hear that? The Bible didn't say my bank account is my strength. The Bible didn't say my ability to wage battle. The Bible didn't say my wit my flowing, beautiful gift of sarcasm, it said, the what? The joy of the Lord. When we lose the joy of the Lord, let me just tell you, you are weak, you are depressed, you are grabbing for straws, you, you feel like your ground is giving way out from underneath you, and you have nothing solid to stand on. The Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. What is the joy of the Lord? Does it mean that every day is happy? No. What the, the joy of the Lord is, is this. This is as bad as it's ever going to get. The one day, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And on the day that I see Jesus face to face, every wrong is going to be made right. God is going to fulfill every thought I've ever thunk. The Bible says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the things God has planned for those who love Him. That's my joy. Oh, by the way, it was His too. Yeah, in Hebrews, the Bible tells us, that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him is one day he will be with you 
forever. So when they beat him, when they scourged him, when they stripped him, when they mocked him, he didn't like it. But he endured it for the joy set before him. You. And he tells us, we can endure by holding on to the joy of the Lord. That one day, all this is over. So what do we do until then? Endure. Persevere. The scripture declares, you have need of endurance. Every once in a while, we all want to quit, right? Yeah, every once in a while, we all do. But the Lord says, through Paul, what? Fight the good fight of faith. Keep going. Do battle till I come. Stay in the fight. And hold on to this promise. How many things work together for good? Yeah. We remember our Greek, right? All means all, and that's all that all means. All things work together for good. For who? Everyone? No. For those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. For the believer, all comes together. It all will be redeemed. God says so. So here's what David says. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from Saul. I don't want you guys to miss that. David never considered Saul his enemy. Saul was his brother. Saul was the Lord's anointed. He was never his enemy. So David sang this song. Who do you sing it to? The Lord. Who do we give praise to? Worship service is not about whether or not we can be entertaining. I hope. Because the reality is we can't be. But you have to go somewhere else to be entertained. We're not good enough to entertain anybody. We're hardly good enough to entertain ourselves. What is worship? Worship is me and the Lord. And it doesn't matter whether we hit every chord or we don't, or we're off beat or we're off key, it doesn't matter. It is my offering to God. And it is to be your offering to God. It's to Him. Not for my entertainment. Not for me to really like this song or that mood or this way or that way. It's my offering to Him. Period. So David sings before the Lord. He lays out this psalm. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. We have to remind ourselves of that, I think. The Lord is my rock. By the way, that's capital L-O-R-D. In case you were going to miss it. That's the Y-H-V-H, the tetragrammaton, the name proper name of God means almighty God is the rock the Bible also tells us that Jesus Christ is our rock in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 we're told that the rock is Jesus Christ in 2 Samuel we're told that the rock is the proper name of God you do not have to be a genius to understand therefore then I was pretty good at geometry I love proofs if Jesus is the rock And the rock is almighty God. Jesus is almighty God. Period. John chapter 10 tells that Jesus is the good shepherd. If Jesus is a good shepherd. And Psalm 23 says that the proper name of God. The Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus is the shepherd. Then Jesus is the Lord. That's how it works. The Lord is my rock. What do you hold on to? What do you cling to when the waves are coming in one after another? Maybe maybe we haven't all experienced the beach. Maybe that's a, a bad concept for us in Idaho. Maybe we need to talk about the river. 
But when, uh, when you get caught up in the river and it's swooping you, I don't know if you've ever swum a rapid. I have swum rapids. And when you swim a rapid and you see that little hill, you know, in the water, you don't go over that just in case that ever happens to you. You go under it. In the beach, you go over. In the river, you go under. So if you don't time your breaths right, and you think in your mind, I'll breathe when I get to the top of that little bubble in the water. That's a bad plan because you're going under the bubble, which means you're going to try to take a breath underwater, which doesn't work out because your lungs work better on air than they do on water. So then when you get to the other side of that thing, you're coughing. And as you're coughing, guess what's waiting the next time you want to take a breath? Another one of those little, whatever you call them. And then you go under it, and under the next one, and under the next one. First time I swam rapids, I swore that I was going to drown. And I can swim. I was born in the water. So I went under, went under, went under, went under, went under. Finally spits me out. I'm just coughing and spitting out water. When you feel like life is doing that to you, and you can't catch a breath, what do you cling to? Because the Bible says... David, after all the stuff he went through, he said, The Lord's my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. That word fortress is the word strong tower. It's the same word. The strong tower, when they built a city back in those days, the city would be built around the strong tower, the fortress, the, the battle area, the place where if an enemy came, everybody who lived in town would flee to the strong tower and they would there make their fight. So he says, it's the Lord that I flee to when things are hard. It's the Lord that I grab a hold of, like that rock that I, that's not going to be going under. That rock decides where the water goes, not the other way around. It's the Lord who delivers me. That's what David held on to. The God of my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation. The word horn throughout the Bible and especially in Hebrew thought is a concept of power. He is my shield and the power of my salvation. Yeah, that's God. He's mighty to save. He's my shield. That means when bad things are coming, I grab him and hold him up. I hold him up. I don't know what anybody, everybody, you throw whatever you want to throw at me. And whatever happens, happens. I know one day a trumpet sounds. I go home to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And every wrong will be made right. So you go for it. Get all your digs in now. Because it's the only chance you will ever have to get it. The Lord is my strength. He's my shield. He's my strong tower. That's what I cling to. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome. How did he overcome? You, you think about it for a moment. How did Jesus overcome? Because when they put him up on a cross, and they mocked him, and they beat him, and they spit on him, and they did all that stuff to him, he stayed on the cross. And he died. But he rose. What's that tell us? It tells us that death's not the end. It tells us that suffering's not the end all beat all. It's there's something greater after. There's something glorious that occurs when all that's done. The Lord's my deliverer. He'll deliver me. My Savior, he says, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Because I called upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because he made my enemies go away? Listen, read Revelation chapter 2. You'll be gravely disappointed. Because to the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, the Lord says this phrase. Be faithful until you die. And I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful.
He says, you're going to be overcome by ten waves of persecution. One after the other after the other. Be faithful till you die. And I will give you the crown of life. Because we are in a cocoon right now. This isn't it. This life isn't it. The things we face isn't it. The struggles that we think are the end of the world are not the end of the world. There is so much more, so much greater that awaits us. So when he says, I'll call upon the name of the Lord, listen. It doesn't mean I call upon the name of the Lord and his hand comes down and plucks me out of all trouble. What it means is what the Paul wrote about in Romans. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now not everyone who called upon the name of the Lord was saved from their circumstances. But everyone who called upon the name of the Lord who was faithful to death received so much more than they ever lost. Because, man, Jesus gives it all. There's, there's so much that we have awaiting us. Sometimes we go through life like we've already been defeated. We haven't been defeated. We've won. The battle's been decided. We have so much in Him. So much. So be faithful. Be faithful. Did the enemy ever knock David down? Well, he spent some time on his face. He spent some time running away from Jerusalem. He spent some time in uh, the, a place he didn't want to be. But he always arose. He always got up. He always came back to the Lord. He always made his life about what God wanted, what the Lord was showing him, not necessarily what he wanted. It's about what's God want to do in my life as a man after God's own heart. And God did an incredible work in and through him. He says in verse 5, When the waves of death have surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Now think about that. The waves of death. It's like going under for the last time. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. This, the craziness in the world and, and the, the way sometimes the world hates the Lord. The sorrows of Sheol. Sheol is a grave. What's he talking about? People who he loved who died. The sorrows of Sheol. People who died. People I lost. Who did David lose? He lost a little baby. He lost a, 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 a son, Amnon. He lost a son, Absalom, in their growth. Because they rebelled against God and died. The sorrows of Sheol. You don't think he cried over his children? He says, the sorrows of Sheol surround me. The snares of death. I got death around me. I got the sorrows of death here. I got the waves flowing over me. He's talking about being about as low as anybody can be. Dealing with the troubles and the reality of life. But look what he says. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. And listen to, listen to the phrase. First, I call upon the Lord. And then I cried out to my God. And he heard my voice from his temple. My cry entered his ears. Our problem sometimes is we think God didn't hear us. David didn't say the sorrow of Sheol left. He didn't say the waves of death started wash, stopped washing over me. He didn't say the fear of the ungodly went away. He said, I cried out to God and he heard me. You believe God hears you? Because sometimes I think we don't. Sometimes it's in the little silly little things. I hate when I do the silly little things. I still do them. I still do it. You ever not able to find your keys? Oh, the worst thing that can possibly be spoke to me when I cannot find my keys to my eternal shame is we need to stop and pray about where your keys are. You know what the preacher does when that gets spoke when he can't find his keys? He 
I might not say it out loud, but in my head, I'm saying, stop talking to me like that. Pray and find my keys. Prayer is not some magic potion. I say a prayer and poof, my keys appear. Do you know how many times when I've stopped and prayed, I found my keys? Yeah, every time. Every single time. I think there's an angel in heaven who has a job. His job is to get Jackie squared away. So what he does is he takes my keys and he, how'd that song go? They tossed him into the great unknown. And then he waits to see if Jackie will just pray. And he sits there with a smile on his face while I buck against the system until finally in my despair and in my, in my uh, ultimately I reach a point of, of uh, I can't believe I, I honestly don't want to pray. And then I stop and I, and I say, Lord, I'm so sorry. That's usually how it starts. And then it goes on to, you know, I really don't care if I find the keys. My heart is screwed up. Because I should want to talk to you no matter what. So fix me. And then, usually a few minutes later, you know, they're in the freezer, in the trash can, or they're somewhere. They're somewhere, and I find them. But the whole exercise was to show me, yeah, I need to learn to call on the Lord. Why is prayer the last thing we tend to go to? Or, or we say things like, well, all we can do now is pray. Well, that's probably where we should have started. All we could have done anyway was pray. Call on the Lord, cry out to the Lord, and to know He hears me. He hears me. Well, there's other times when we're, it's not so silly like keys. When there's real tragedy, so often that's much easier to go before the Lord to call. And just like David, our prayers, they sound like crying as we make our supplication known. To go before him and pray, my cry enters his ears. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he cares? Because the Bible says he cares what happens to you. Do you believe it? We act like spoiled children sometimes because we say, well, if he cares about what happens to me, then why has this happened to me? Um, because it needs to happen for you to become the man or woman you need to be. But we don't like that. Any more than our children did when they were little. And we told them, no, you can't get in the pool Right now, after you ate, you have to wait 30 minutes. Otherwise, you'll get a cramp and drown or some weird story we tell our kids. They don't like it. And whether they would get a cramp or not is not the point. The point is, will you learn to obey? Because if we don't teach them to obey when they're young, when they're old, they won't obey. Where do they go when they don't obey when they're old? Yeah, I just visited a bunch of them. It's funny, I've been going to jail now for three years. Uh, every few months, I'll go for a month to the jail. And I know some of them guys by name. Three years. Still, they're just making the route, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out. We got to learn. We got to learn, and that's oftentimes what those purposes are. The earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth and coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness, canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the sky from the brightness before him. Coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice and he sent arrows out and scattered them and lightning bolts and he vanquished them and the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. You catch that phrase in verse 16, the channels of the sea? Oh, the children of Israel 
believed everything bad happened in the water. They were deathly afraid of the ocean. They did not go, don't want to see it. Bad things come from there. Babylon comes from there. The people who conquer us come from there. We don't like the sea. How'd they know? There were channels in it. You know, in the ocean, there's currents, right? We use those currents still today to, to, for ships to travel around the world. They get into the channels of the sea. David doesn't live at the beach. He doesn't ever get in a boat. He doesn't go out on the ocean. How does he know? Because the Bible is God-breathed. That's how he knows. That's how he knows of the channels of the sea, the foundations of the world. Uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord and the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. From those who hated me for they were too strong for me. And they confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. David said the enemies didn't get the final win. They didn't get my life. But but they got my son. But they got my other son. But the Lord delivered me. Been a time or two in my life, folks, I look back and said, why did you deliver me? Why me? A lot of other more deserving people. Why deliver me? Because God's got a plan. Most people don't like to hear that. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I'm sorry. doesn't change it. Whether you want to hear it or not, it's the truth. He has a purpose behind everything that happens. Nothing happens without purpose or plan. Nothing doesn't mean it's easy it just means that God has a plan and a purpose he brought him out he put him in a broad place he delighted in me verse 21 the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands who's writing this David the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness oh man I hope not was he righteous Oh, but wait. Psalm 51. He lays out his iniquities before God. And the scripture tells us that blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven. See, David understood it. He stands in a righteousness that's given to him by God. So he rewards me according to my righteousness. So do you. You stand in a righteousness that's been rewarded to you by God. Jesus became your sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. You can't be more righteous than you are right now. You can be more obedient, but you can't be more righteous. Your righteousness is his. It's been given to you even as David's was. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, as for his statutes I did not depart from them. This is something that sometimes we miss, and I I hope we can kind of grab the idea. The Bible says that if we love God, we keep his commandments. And then people start feeling guilty because they break his commandments. Keep doesn't mean... To perform. Keep means to treasure. Do you understand the difference? Means that I keep his commandments. That I love his word. I love what God teaches me. I want to walk in his ways. That's love. I'll stumble and fall, but it doesn't mean I don't love his commandments. That I don't treasure his word. That I don't treasure what he says. So I will keep 
his commandments. And David is saying here, man, I'm, I've kept the ways of the Lord. He treasured the ways of the Lord. Did, did he ever sin? Sure he did. Did he sin with Bathsheba? I mean, his sins are more well known than any of ours, aren't they? Two, two, four, eight, six, I don't know how many thousand years later, here we are talking about David's sins. How would you like that? How would you like everybody to gather together in a hundred years from now and just discuss your sin? Well, that's how it's been ever since the word has come out, isn't it? When people study the word, well, let, let's talk about David. What are we going? David's sitting up in heaven right now, going, "Oh, they're going to talk about Bathsheba again." Do they know I did anything else in my life? They think that's the only thing that ever happened in my life. David says, "I kept the ways of the Lord before me. I treasured the word. I treasured." God, I treasured that relationship. I kept them like a treasure. I was also blameless before him and I kept myself from iniquity. I was blameless before him. Why? Because God removed his iniquity. Because David asked for forgiveness. And he understood the beauty of being forgiven. We sang a song tonight. Do you remember? As far as the east is from the west. The east and west ever touch? Nope. Never. You go east forever and west forever and never run into each other. He's removed our transgressions from us. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed them. God doesn't remember them. They're gone. So David can say, I'm blameless before you. Not because I'm perfect. Because you are. Because you have forgiven. Because you have removed my uncleanness. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. According to the, my cleanness in his eyes. You notice that, right? According to my cleanness in his eyes. Not mine. His. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty that you might bring them down. Hey, the Lord can reach anybody in any place, anytime, wherever they're at. If they're haughty, don't worry, don't sweat it. The Lord knows. If they're humble, the Lord will meet them there. If you want mercy, what's the Bible say? Well, the Bible tells in, in Galatians chapter 6... Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you plant is what's going to grow. So if whatever I plant is what's going to grow, if I want to experience more friendliness in my life, what should I plant? Friendliness. If I want to experience more love in my life, what should I plant? You mean I, I, I shouldn't plant uh, criticalness? No, because if I plant criticalness, what will I get? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing how often we miss it. We'll walk around and we'll complain about how somebody isn't being a certain way for us more. I wish he was, he was more loving toward me. Or I wish he was more this. Or I wish he was more that. I wish he did this. I wish he did that. Listen, the Bible says, you reap what you sow. You want more love? Love more. You want more kindness? Be kinder. Sow it. And you will reap it. A spiritual law. The Bible says in verse 29, For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can lead over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. What that say? His way is perfect. You thinking about David's life? All the stuff that happened? 
the little baby that died, the sons that went into rebellion, his daughter who was raped. He said, God, your ways are perfect. Your plan for my life, 10 years hiding in caves, running around like a crazy man, your way is perfect. Can you say that tonight? God, your way is perfect. The stuff you have done in my life is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. When the Bible says the Lord is my lamp, what does it mean? When it says he's my guide in darkness, what's it talking about? Have you ever wondered what to do, where to go, what, what, what's happening, what's going on in my life? And sometimes, you know, they, they say there's a couple of different kinds of people, those who uh, plan what's going to happen, those who wonder what's going to happen, and those who say what happened. And in the scripture it says that the Lord is my lamp. The God, God told the children of Israel to make his word like frontlets between their eyes. So the children of Israel thought that that meant to write down a verse, put it in a box, and tie it around their head. They still wear it today. It's called a phylactery. They wear it on their hands too. But what I think the word means is my word is supposed to be your flashlight so you can see in the dark where to go, what to do. What is, what is my next step, Lord? What, where do I go? It's his word. Becomes that lamp. Isn't that what David said in the 119th Psalm? Read it sometime. Thy word is a light. Ah, it will guide. It directs. This is what he's declaring here. The Lord will show us the way to go. His ways are perfect. For who is God except the Lord? Now, Sometimes we think those are synonymous terms. And people often get upset, and I'm not telling you not to get upset. Say people are taking the Lord's name in vain when they say the word God. God is not God's name. God is a title of deity utilized in all kinds of different languages, but it's not his name. His name is impronounceable. His name is four consonants with no vowels the YHVH as for God the only God there is is the Lord the Yahweh Jehovah Yahweh I, I, you can term it any way you, you think you can the point is he is the only real God but God's not his name he has a name personal name a personal name in fact in the ancient Hebrew they often say that the name of the Yahweh uh, simply means the becoming one that he becomes whatever you need he's the becoming one there is only one God and his name is the Lord who is a rock except our God? God is my power and my strength. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. <laughs> Them little boogers just move through the hills like they're not even there. You ever chase a deer? It I seriously come close to having a heart attack just going over a, a little tiny hill. I'm close to death. I'm thinking if I go two more steps, which is why I'm afraid to go at Robin again. He tried to kill me last time. But anyways, if I go two more steps, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to perish. I'm gonna, they're going to have to come out here and drag my carcass off of this hill. But then you see a deer. And all of a sudden, you have energy. There's a deer. Shh. I hope you can't smell me. But you can't stop your breathing because I'm so tired from coming up the hill. So I got to sound like a Mack truck idling somewhere. And the deer's looking around. And then maybe his ears will perk up. And then they point 
two different ways because they're listening. Where's that coming from? And then they get me. And then they both point at you. Oh, he got me. And then in seconds, what took me hours, in seconds, he's gone. David said, he makes my feet like the deer's feet so that I can overcome those high mountains in my life so I can move through them with ease. He gives me the strength to get over, to go beyond, to get up to that high place that I can't quite get to apart from his touch. And then he says, one of my favorite scriptures in verse 35 he teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze had that on the inside inscription of our championship rings oh probably not for the reason you think when the scripture says he teaches my hands to make war he's saying you're going to teach me how to overcome the challenges and I'll be able to do the impossible you ever seen a bow of bronze well how can I how should I say this they don't bend you can't bend a bow of bronze it's metal Sure you can, Jackie. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Go home, dig out that old leaf spring in the back, the big old rusty leaf spring, and then tie a string on the two ends, and you go ahead and bend it. You show me. When the Bible says you, that I can bend a bow of bronze, he's saying you will give me the strength to do the impossible, to, to defeat the impossible enemy. To overcome the impossible thing. To take down my giant. God gives us the power to do it. And David, as he looks back at his life, as he goes through and he talks about the things that God had wrought in his life, the stuff that comes out is how amazing God has been as he looks back. Not how easy his life was or how he got out of every hardship. He didn't. The Psalms teach us that life is hard and God is good. It doesn't take one or the other away. It doesn't tell us that life will be easy or that God's bad and he hates you. He tells us that life is hard but God is good. And our joy is in God's ability to do what he promised. Read Isaiah 61. See what God promised to do. I will give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's his promise. I give you the ability. You just trust me. And there will be things that are a drag. But one day, there will be no more drag. There will be no more sorrow. The Bible says, sorrow comes in the evening, but joy comes in the morning. The concept is, while we may be sorrowful here, and our whole life may be sorrowful for 70 years, 80 years, our life is full of sorrow. Well, congratulations, you're just measuring up in one small part to who Jesus Christ was. Because the Bible says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But if your life was sorrow all the way through, and you die, and you come to see your Savior's face, it will be as though you had joy or sorrow for the evening, but this overcoming joy in the morning. And all the wrongs are right in him. What hope you have any other way? How's it all going to make sense in any other 
any other path we take. It's our only hope is him. And that's what David's pointing to. We'll pick up the rest next time. Let's, why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're just so thankful for your word and for how living it is and how powerful and that it's true and real. God, I pray, I know that various times in our life we find ourselves in a place where we're able to cling to you and say, yes, I know these things to be true. And other times, maybe when we're down in the pits, it's hard. It's hard to know. It's hard to overcome that root of bitterness in our life and the frustration that God has allowed something unpleasant, hurtful. Sorrow comes in the evening, but joy comes in the morning. God will make it right. It's impossible. Well, then it's good it's God's job because he says all things are possible. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word when everything else doesn't make sense. Your word is true. Thank you that we can be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us and died for us. I thank you, Lord, that of myself I can do nothing, but with you I can do everything nothing I can do through you so God meet us in this place equip us to be the men and women you're calling us to be may we put aside our hate and anger and frustration and grab a hold of the joy of the Lord because it's the only thing that will carry me through and we will be renewed like the eagle The old is passed away. Behold, Jesus said, I make all things new. God, we thank you so much for your promises and the promises on Scripture. And we just give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in a word of worship. Invite you guys to worship with us. And later we'll hang out in the foyer and visit. God bless you all. Go in peace.
more than enough You are my sacrifice of greatest pride Still more awesome than I know And you're my coming King You are everything Still more awesome than I know And all of you It's more than enough for All of me Forever thirsting Every need you satisfy me with your love, all I have in you is more than enough, more than all I want, more than all I need, you are more than enough. For me, more than all I know, more than all I can see, you are more than enough, and all of you, it's more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need. You satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough. Give you thanks, Father. Indeed, you are everything we need. Give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.